All right, while they receive their offering, why don't you guys go ahead and pull out your Bibles. Pull out your Bibles. We are going to be in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to be this morning. If you didn't bring a Bible, you're going to want one. You're going to want one. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 18. Uh, if you didn't bring one Bible, there's a blue Bible underneath the seat you are sitting in. 1 Samuel chapter 18 is on page 268 in the blue Bible. Page 268. 1 Samuel 18 is where we're going to dive in. But before we do, just got to set up the story a little bit for us. Um, if you have been around, uh, this will be a, a little bit of a recap, but if you are new, you're just kind of jumping in with us. We've been in for Samuel for two months here at Flourishing Grace, and we're, we only have a few weeks left. Um, but the kind of important thing that you need to know is, is, is a story of, of kings. The first king of the nation of Israel was a guy named Saul. Saul is the ruling, reigning king in the eyes of the people. Right? He, was, he was anointed king by God. Um, he has been leading the people in battle. He's been, he's been waging wars. He's, he's the ruling king of the nation of Israel. If you could go back into that time and you ask the people who is the reigning king, they would say, Saul. Okay? But at the same time, two weeks ago, if you were here, right, David takes center stage. David is anointed as king in Israel. God says, Saul is no longer king. David is king. But this is kind of a private ceremony where God does this through the prophet Samuel. Um, and he anoints David as king. And so in the eyes of God, David is king. In the eyes of the people, Saul is still king. Now this is shifting. This is changing. If you remember last week, David, um, the, maybe the most famous story in 1 Samuel for sure, one of the most famous stories in, in the entire history uh, of the world is the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath, we talked about that last Sunday, um, and we looked at this story. And if you remember, David becomes the conqueror. He becomes the champion. That day, in that moment, David defeats the battle-hardened Goliath, this, this amazing warrior who has never lost in battle. David, this little teenage kid, right? He says he's ruddy and handsome. He's, like this, he's this skinny little kid that just stands no chance defeats the great Goliath, and he wins the battle for the nation of Israel. And so he is now, he is now rising in fame, and he's rising in notoriety. In an instant, he becomes the champion, the savior, the redeemer of the moment, of that day. And Saul calls him in. Saul's like, I got to know this kid. I got to know who is this one. And so he brings David in. David comes in still holding the head of Goliath in his hand. He's like, what up? And Saul's like, who are you? He says, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Right? He says, I'm the son of Jesse, your servant from Bethlehem. That's who I am. And that's the end of chapter 17. Now this morning we're going to jump into 18. And we're going to see how Saul and Saul's son Jonathan, who's also present, respond to David. All right, so here at Flourishing Grace, we believe that this book, the thing that we call the Bible, is the Word of God. It is, it is near and dear to us. It holds authority over every area of our lives. For those of us who follow Jesus, which I know is not everybody in the room, but for those of us who are followers of Christ, we seek to submit every area of our lives to every bit of this Word. And so in honor and reverence of it, if you're able, would you stand with me as I read it for us this morning? We're just going to read the first five verses of chapter 18. As soon as he, this is David, as soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, 
the soul, the soul of Jonathan, that's Saul's son, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. If you grew up in church, you've heard this passage preached before. You've heard the story of David and Jonathan, right? This is not uh, an uncommon or unknown story. If, you've, if you have children, maybe you've, you've read to them about David and Jonathan. And I, I want to make one thing clear right off the bat, that this piece of the story, chapter 18, the first five verses, has nothing to do with friendship. It is not about friendship. Every time I've ever heard this preached, to the best of my knowledge, it has been about friendship. But it doesn't have anything to do with friendship. It's, it's not about friendship. That Samuel is not writing to try to get you to understand how to be a better friend or how to love your friends better. That is, that is not the purpose. That is not the point of what Samuel's trying to communicate. And it's obvious. I don't know why we get it wrong so, so often. It's, it's really, really obvious if you just, if you just read the Bible, it's, it's, it's obvious. Uh, l- look at what he says in verse 3. If you look at just how Jonathan responds to David, a couple things. He says this first. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. How many of you, kind of on the first time you met someone, and you're like, this person's awesome. Like you went out with your friends and you had a great night. It was just, it's just like an incredible time. And they, they brought someone that you'd never met before. Um, and you met them and you're like, this is so much fun. You know what we should do? Like we had such a good time. I feel like we really connected. Like there was a, there was a connection there. We should create a covenant together. Like we'll, we'll, we'll make an agreement and we'll be best friends for life. We'll like sign it in blood. It'll be amazing. How many of you guys have done that on the kind of like the first time you met somebody? No? If you have, I can guarantee you this, you don't have any friends. Because that's just weird. That's strange, right? If you, if you go there, right? you, you've had, just had this great night and you go there, they're like, no, okay, man, this just got weird. I'm out, right? Look at the other thing that Jonathan does. This isn't about friendship. Friends don't do these kinds of things. Look at the other thing he does. Verse 4, and Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. How many of you, right, you just went out with all your girlfriends and they brought some new ladies in. You're like, oh, this is such an amazing night. We had so much fun. Like, I just really connected with like, this one girl. I've never met her before. So it was so much fun. And all of a sudden you're just like, I'm just going to, you want my clothes? I'm just going to give you my pants. Here you go. Like, nobody does that, right? And the reality is, like, he's not, he's not getting naked. He's He's taking off his royal robe. He's like, here, my royal robe is yours. I don't, right? Jonathan is the, is the heir to the throne. He's removing this royal robe. He says, here, this is my prized position. It's yours. How many of you say, man, I just have such a great connection. Like, I just want to give you, here's my car. 
I just want you to, I just want you to have my stuff, right? Here's the key to my house. You can just come on over, you know, if you find some steaks, you can throw them on the grill, you know, drink my beer, do whatever you want. It's just my house is your house. Like, I know we just met. I know that's weird. We don't do that. It's strange. It would, that, would be, that would be awkward. It would just be awkward. It's like, yeah, why don't you come on over, use my hot tub whenever you want. Like, like I don't know you. Like, this is weird. That would be a strange thing. It's not about friendship. It's not about friendship. Now, they are friends. They do become great friends. David and Jonathan, we're going to see, actually, over the next few weeks, that they become great friends. And this covenant that they've created is a meaningful and deep covenant. I'm not trying to make light of that. I'm just trying to say that's not what Samuel's trying to communicate. This isn't about friendship. It's about kingship. This is not, it's not about friendship. It's about kingship. Samuel is trying to get us to understand that there is, that there is a right way and a wrong way to respond to the king. To the king. There's a right way and a wrong way to respond to the savior. The question is not how we treat a friend. The question is how do we treat the giant slayer? Or better yet, how do we treat the Redeemer, the Savior of the day, the Savior of the moment, right? And he, and he compares and he contrasts these two figures, which is what Samuel loves to do. If you read through 1 Samuel, you'll see this again and again and again. He loves to compare and contrast and get you to see two opposite pictures, to see the difference, right? So on, on one hand, he has Saul. And on the other hand, he has Jonathan. And there's two very different reactions. If, if, you, if you notice, if you see... They react very differently to David. David is the, the conqueror of the day, the savior of the day. He has just won the victory for Israel. And how do they respond? Look at verse 2. This is Saul's response. In Saul, what's the word? Saul what? Took him, right? Saul took him. Saul takes David for himself that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Now this is fascinating because just a few hours earlier, David comes to Saul and says, hey, I can fight Goliath. I, I can do it. Put me in. Put me in. Put me in. And Saul says, no way. You're just a punk little kid. There's no way you can go fight this guy. But now, now that David has defeated him, he says, you're mine. You're never leaving and you're never going home. Like, you are mine, which is kind of creepy in and of itself. It's like, you're, you're never going home to your dad. Like, you are mine now. When we view ourselves as king... Right? We, we take, we say, David exists for me. He exists now for my glory. You are now mine. And you, you are going to prop me up. You are going to be my Goliath. We talked about that last week, how we always, we long for a Goliath that we can attach ourselves to, that will fight our battles for us, who will win the victory for us. You are now mine. You're going to fight for me. You're going to win my battles. You're going to support me. You're going to bring me more glory. You're going to advance my kingdom. That's how Saul views the Savior. But then Jonathan does something different. Verse 4. And Jonathan, what's the word? He stripped himself. Saul takes for himself. Jonathan strips himself of the robe that was on him. And gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. Now, these pieces are significant. I said earlier, the, the robe, this is, Jonathan is the 
rightful in the people's eyes, in Saul's eyes, and even in Jonathan, Jonathan's eyes moments before. He is the rightful heir of the throne. The future king of the nation of Israel will be Jonathan. When Saul dies, Jonathan will reign. In his mind, in his eyes, that's, that's how this is going to go. That's how kingship works. He wears the royal robe as the future king. Removing this robe is a symbol of him removing future aspirations, future dreams, opulence, rights, riches, wealth, all kinds of things. He is removing it, and he lays it at the feet of David. He says, this, this is yours, not mine. You are the Savior. You are the King. He removes the armor. The special armor um, of the son of the king. Jonathan is known, if, you, if you've been following along with us, Jonathan is known as a great warrior. He's a great warrior. He's defeated many, many men in battle. He's defeated the Philistines, uh, and entire groups of Philistines. He's a great warrior. The people view him and see him as a great warrior. And he's removing these things that are such a part of his identity, the things that the people love him for. They love him for his ability to fight battles for them. He says, no, 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 this is not mine. My, my armor, my sword, my helmet, my bow, these things, these things are yours. They are not mine. He is submitting fully and completely everything that he is to David, the rightful king. The rightful king. Saul Saul is, the, is king in his own eyes, but he's not king in God's eyes. He's king in his own eyes, and he's taking the one who is king in God's eyes, and he's putting him beneath him to serve him. Jonathan, Jonathan is the future king in his own eyes until he meets the true king. And then he lays everything before him and says, these are not mine. I am not worthy of these things. They are yours. Two different responses. Two different responses to the great defeater of Goliath. We talked about last week how Goliath represents something far greater. And David points us to Christ. David is a type of Christ. You see, Christ is the one who defeated the great giant of sin. For all time and for all history, sin remained an undefeated champion, challenging anyone at any time to, see, to try to defeat it. And no one ever has. No one has ever stood before sin and defeated it, crushed it, killed it. It was an undefeated foe. And this curse of sin and death has crushed humanity. I prayed about it earlier. Every ounce of pain, every ounce of sorrow that you've ever experienced in your entire life is a result of the curse of sin that we have brought upon ourselves. And no one has ever been able to stand against it. It has destroyed every man. It has destroyed every woman. Every single one of us will one day taste death unless Christ returns first because of this curse. But, but Christ, Christ steps in. He steps into the field of battle. He walks forth alone. No one else could. No one else would. There is no one like him. He lives a sinless, blameless life. He goes to the cross. God himself puts on flesh, lives among us, goes to the cross, absorbs the wrath of God on the cross. 
the curse and the penalty for that curse that was laid on you and laid on me because of our sin, because of our failure, was laid on Christ. And he bore it perfectly, defeated it perfectly, paid for it perfectly. And that victory that was won as he raises from the dead, the victory over sin, the victory over death, that victory, that championship, that it was imputed to you. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, if you've given your life to him, that, was, that victory was given to you. Not because you did something amazing, not because you fought a great battle, not because you did all the right things, not because you earned the status, not because you somehow got God to like you. No, because he loves you so much, he gave his only son for you. And that victory was imputed to you. We are, we are clothed not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of Christ. He removes the robe of righteousness and wraps it around us. He says, you are now right because of what I've done on the cross. The champion of our day, the, the hero of our moment, the, the, the king of our lives is Christ. And what Samuel is declaring to us, what the story is declaring to us, is there's different ways in which we respond to this. It's one thing to understand intellectually that Christ has given his life for me. Every person who believes that responds to it. Every single person who's ever, who's ever come to the place where they say, yes, I believe that, responds to it. But there is a good ways to respond, and there are not good ways to respond. We can respond like Saul. Saul who says, no, 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 yes, I want this. I, I come here and I believe that, that, that David has defeated Goliath. I believe that Christ has defeated sin. And I'm going to take him for myself. I'm going to take him for myself. Uh, we want a God. We want a God who's going to help us be kind. We want a God who's going to protect our marriages. We, we want a God who's going to keep our kids out of jail, hopefully, prayerfully. All right, we want a God who's going who's to love us. We want a God who's going to help us live our best lives now. We want a God who's going to make us happy. And as long as we get those things, all is well. We want a God who we can, can put underneath us to prop us up and, and build us up and to bring us more glory, to bring us more goodness, to bring us more more greatness in our lives so that we might experience the fullness of everything that life has to offer. That's the kind of God that we want. I'm going to take him for myself. And he's going to serve my kingdom. Just like Saul, who's not the real king in the eyes of God, but in his own eyes is the real king. We can see ourselves as king and take the true right king and put him underneath us and say, you exist for me. I'm going to take you for myself. Or we can respond to the gospel. We can respond to this good news as Jonathan. Jonathan who says, here is all of my rights. Here's all of my future aspirations and my dreams. Here is my armor, my security, my protection, my identity. And I lay it all at your feet. These things are not mine. I am not worthy of these things. You are. I need a Savior. A Savior who will protect me. A Savior who will watch over me. A Savior who will lead me into righteousness. I am not the one. You are the one. I exist to serve you. Now, obviously, all of us in the room, I hope anyways, would say, I want to be more like Jonathan. 
Not like Saul. I want to be more like Jonathan. The question is, how do I know? How do I know in my life? How do I know if I'm being more like a Jonathan as it comes to Christ, where I'm, where I'm laying down my rights and I'm, I'm laying down my, my future aspirations and my wealth and my security for the sake of Christ? Or am I, am I forcing Christ to be underneath me and to support me and prop me up? Which one am I? Well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you I'm going to give you just a few things to look at. And as we look at these things, I want you to say, is there more evidence in my life of Saul? Or is there more evidence in my life of Jonathan? As I look at these, at these just kind of basic things, we could, we could be here all day long looking at a whole list of things. We're just going to look at a few. But as we look at them, is there more evidence in my life of Saul? Do I view myself as king? over my life, or is Jonathan, where I am submitting my kingship, I'm submitting the rule and reign of my life to the true king, and that is Christ. The first one, kind of an obvious one, all of these, are, all of these should be pretty obvious if you, if you think about it for just a moment, um, is the need to be heard or the need to be relevant, right? Every king, every king has a need to be important, and a desire to be heard. Every king, right? You cannot be king and not feel important. Not believe that, man, I, I deserve to be heard. I, I mean, I'm the king. I live in a castle. Like, everybody, I have people who, like, feed me food by hand. Like, you should probably listen to me, right? That's just, that's just part of being a king. Like, that's just, that's just kind of the perk of being a king. I'm important. I deserve to be heard. But a servant of Christ says... He's the only one who's important, and he's the only one who deserves to be heard. When we approach Christ as Jonathan, we say the things that make me important in the eyes of men are not important things. The things that make me important, the things that bring me significance in my place of work, the things that bring me significance in my home, the things that bring me significance in my, in my future dreams and hopes are not important things. And so I surrender those to the call of Christ in my life to come and die, die to myself, to be obedient to him, to follow him, to worship him, to draw near to him. But the heart of a soul, the one who views himself as king, says, no, 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 I am important. Like in, in my office, Monday through Friday, Josh, I need to be heard. I, I am kind of the smartest guy in the room. I mean, when we go into a meeting, everybody knows, like they just, they, just, they just have no idea what they're talking about. And I'm the one who knows what's right. I have a lot to offer. I've got years of experience. People need to listen to me. I'm significant. And I'm important. And our lives with our friends. When there's drama going on over here, it has nothing to do with us. We insert ourselves into it because we want to feel important. I'm important. i got to know what's going on. i got to speak into it because I'm important. And people should listen to me. People should hear me. Now, I'm not saying that we don't debate. I'm not saying that we don't talk and we don't figure out problems. Like, those are, those are things that we do that are healthy and right. But to say, no, no, no. I need to be heard. It must be my way is another way of saying, 
I must be the one who receives the glory. And we declare with our actions, whether you, the reality is no, no one in the room would ever say, no, 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 I'm the king of my life and Christ exists to serve me. No, no one's going to say that. Like, you know, if, if I asked you that, you'd be like, no, it's not true. But with our actions, we declare that that's actually what we believe. Even though we would say, I don't believe that. Our actions declare that we do. We do. That we are hungry for our own glory. We're hungry for our own significance. We're hungry for the, for the right to be heard. And friends, if the greatest aim of your life is anything other than the glory of Christ, you will never have a flourishing relationship with him. If the aim of your life is anything other than the glory of Christ, to bring him glory, to bring him fame and honor and renown, you will never know him. It's impossible. You cannot know the king of kings. If, you, if, you're, if your hunger is for your own glory, and friends, it is for all of us. We all have a hunger inside of us for our own glory. If we are not fighting against that and saying the aim of my life is to glorify Christ, we'll never know him. We'll never have a relationship with him. We'll, we'll never walk with him in an intimate way. We will never know him. You might know facts about him. You might be able to, to share Bible verses and stories from the Bible, but you will never know him. The same is true in all of life. This makes perfect sense if you just think about it for two seconds. If, if the aim of your marriage is that your spouse will give you all of the glory and all of the honor and all the praise. You will never know your spouse. You might know facts about them, him or her. You might be able to say, oh, I know their birthday and I know their, their, where they grew up and, and I can tell you stories. But you don't actually know them. You don't actually know them. And when it comes to the king of kings, the one who all glory and all honor and praise is due, the chief aim of our life must be to glorify him and to enjoy him for all of our days. Some of you might have been told when you were a child or when you were young, as you were growing up, that the chief aim of life is to earn a status, to become, to, to get to a place in your life where you've done all of the right things and you can be called in the eyes of men worthy. You can stand before God and you can be called worthy. Right? And so you do all of the right things and, and you've, you've checked off all of the right boxes in, in order to earn this kind of status to, to bring glory to yourself here on earth so you become more like God and you can, you can look like him and be worthy. It's not true. You will never know him if that is the pursuit of your life. You'll never draw near to him if that is, if that is the end of yourself. The call of Christ is a call to come and die. Die to ourselves and say, not my will but yours be done. Not my glory but yours. On my desk, I have this picture framed and I made this little thing and it's silly, I know. But it says this. It says, much to do and nothing to prove. Much to do, nothing to prove. We've got a lot to do. I have nothing to prove. And it goes on. It says, if God were to answer every one of my prayers for revival and renewal in Utah, but did so through another church, would I rejoice simply because he has done a great work? 
if all of the significance and all of the glory went someplace else, but yet God was made, was made known and he was made glorious and many sons and daughters sang his praises. They came to know him in an intimate and deep way. But no one knew my name. No one knew of flourishing grace. Would I rejoice? Much to do. Nothing to prove. We walk faithfully. We work hard. There's nothing to prove. Christ has already accomplished. He, he has already done the work. He receives all of the glory. Much to do. Nothing to prove. The next one is this. I'll go through a couple quickly. Uh, where we spend our time and how we use our time. This is an easy one, right? A king says, this is my time. It's important to me, right? A king's time is valuable. Their days are valuable. Everybody knows this, right? That's why everybody does little things for the king so the king doesn't have to worry about those little things. You can just focus on the big things, like the knights of the round table or whatever. I don't know what kings focus on, but they do cool stuff, right? The king's time is important, Right? But the servant, the servant of Christ, the servant of the King of Kings, says, Every moment has been given to me as a gracious gift from his hands, and I will live for him in this time that he has given to me. Every bit of this is for him. My hours and my days and my moments belong to him. They are not mine to hoard. They are not important to me. They're only as important to me as far as I can bring him glory in those moments. And so I will spin them wisely. I will walk in them wisely. I will work hard to treasure every moment for the glory of Christ, not for the glory of Josh. I will spend my days seeking others to point to Christ. Right? Praying for one. Every single day praying, God, would you give me one person today to share your love with? I'll carve out time for that. I will walk slowly through life so that when that person presents himself, I will be ready to declare the glory and the riches and the amazing work of Christ to them. Right? The, person, the one person that he's laid on my heart, I'll carve out time each week to spend time with them, investing in them so they might know Christ and that his kingdom might be advanced. Being in a small group so that I might draw near in community and that others can be drawn near in community and that we can pursue Christ together. I've seen the difference between people who say, I will sacrifice my time, right, in order to engage in a group versus those who say, I just don't have time for that. I'm too busy with other things. I've seen the difference and it is massive. It is massive. More and more and more and more we see within the church as a whole, not just flourishing grace, but yes, flourishing grace. People sacrificing time for kingdom advancing work for time in their own little kingdoms. I've got to build up my own kingdom. I need to spend more time at work. I've got to build my own kingdom. I've got to spend more time taking my kids to this place, taking my kids to that place, taking my kids over here. I've, I've got to engage for my own kingdom, for my own glory, for my own renown. And we sacrifice time investing in the king of all kings. Another easy one is finances, right? Kings hoard wealth for themselves. All wealth and all riches are theirs to do with whatever they want with. A servant of Christ invest what has been entrusted to them into his kingdom. Some of us might say, no, 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 Josh, I work hard for my money. 
Jonathan worked hard and he fought hard and battled to earn the status of a great warrior. And he lays it down at the feet of David. We work hard in our careers. We work hard um, in stewarding our finances as well so that we might lay it at the foot of Christ and say, this is yours, not mine. Do with it what you will. Another one is our, is our comfort with sin. Comfort with sin. A king says, this is my life and I'll live it my way. Right? That's what a king does, right? This, this, is, this is my life. It's meant to, to, to bring me glory, to bring me happiness, to live my best life now how I see fit. That's what a king does. It's his way. He rules all things. But a servant of Christ says, I'll fight to be fully and totally obedient to the true king. You cannot be a Christian and be comfortable with your sin. You can't. You cannot be a follower of Jesus and be comfortable in sin. Whether that is how you act at work, the language you use around people who you know, are, are not followers of Jesus, the things you speak of and how you speak to other people, whether it's what you watch on your computer or your television or how you treat your spouse or how you treat other people in your life, you cannot be comfortable in those things. And be a follower of Jesus is just not possible. It's not possible. Right? Because sin is ultimately a rejection of Christ as king. Say, no, no, no. My way is better. This way is going to bring me more delight. This way is going to bring me more joy. This way is going to bring me more fulfillment. I understand that you said those things, but I'm going to rebel against you. I'm going to do my own thing. I am my own king. When we become comfortable in sin, it declares that we have become our own kings, the kings of our own lives. And we have rejected Christ as king over our lives. When was the last time you confessed your sin to another person? When was the last time that you actually sat down face to face with someone and said, I'm sorry, I've sinned against you. I said this thing, I did this thing, and I shouldn't have. And I'm sorry, I, I was wrong. I confess that, will you please forgive me? If you can't think of a moment, if you can't think of a time, then the reality is, the truth is that you've become comfortable in your sin. And you are the king of your own life. The last one is this. The last one I'm going to give, is, give you is this. It's self-doubt or feeling of inadequacy, which might be strange. That might, that might sound strange at first, right? Because the first one is, I've been talking the whole time about how we, we seek to have our own glory and we, we want the power, we want fame, we want to be known, right? But then you say, wait, but you see the opposite of that is also not true, right? This, this idea of I'm not worthy, I'm, I'm not good enough, I, I have this self-doubt, this, this worthlessness to me. The opposite of... Hoarding glory it is, is not self-pity or self-doubt or insecurity. That's not what happens when we lay our glory at the feet of Christ. You see, when Jonathan lays his royal robe at the feet of David, when he removes his armor and lays it at the feet of David, David does not look at Jonathan and say, yeah, you're disgusting now. 
Without those things, you're worthless to me. Get, get out of here. Like, who, who wants you around here anymore? No, they become deep friends. They, become, they have this intimate friendship where he, he loves him. When we come to Christ and we lay our hopes and our desires, our aspirations, our identities, the things that we've, that we've worked so hard to, to build up, our own glory, when we lay that down to the feet of Christ, he looks at you and he says, I love you as you are. There's no insecurity in you because although you've laid down your armor before me, I will protect you all of your days. I will be with you always to the end of the earth. I will be with you. I'm yours. I'll be with you. When we lay down our, our royal robes and the things that we've built up, these future hopes and dreams and aspirations, Christ says, I have something far greater for you than all of that. Something far better. We remove our treasures and we replace them with the one great treasure, Christ. We remove the robe of our own glory and we share in his unending, unfathomable glory. We share in his glory with him. It's amazing. Christ in the, the last chapters of John cries out to his father in this kind of dying, pleading cry. Is would you let them share in my glory? That's what he wants. He longs to share his own glory, this untappable, unfathomable glory. He longs to share it with us. As we lay down our own, he shares his with us. We remove the robe of our future aspirations and we say, my life is yours. My kingdom is yours. And I know that your ways are better than mine. Real joy is found there. And I know it doesn't make sense, I know that when we say, well, if, if I give up all of my earthly things that I think are going to make me happy, how will I ever find real happiness? True, authentic joy and life is found in the person of Christ. Knowing him is sweeter than any earthly treasure. Drawing near to him, experiencing intimacy with the king of kings is far greater than any other joy that you will ever begin to know. The power that is within Christ, he longs to place within us to draw us near to himself and to be with us for all eternity, to walk with him, to know him. It is sweeter and greater than all things. And as long as we cling to our kingship, we will never, ever understand that. We'll never know it. Let's do this. Why don't you guys go ahead and stand? If you just bow your heads with me for a moment, I'm going to pray for us and we'll be dismissed. But before I pray, I just. I want to kind of just create for us a moment of surrender. I want to ask you, just in your life, where are you clinging to things that are simply not yours? Where have you propped yourself up as the king? Wherever you place Christ and subject to your rule and your reign, 
Where have you said, no, 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 my way is, is actually going to be better here? Where have you said, no, 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 I've, I've got this. I've got this. I can, I can do this. I can, I can, I can achieve this. I don't, I don't need any help here. Where have you demanded to be important? What is bringing you significance right now? Is it your job, your career, your wealth? If all of those were gone in a moment, in an instant, they're just gone. Do you feel insignificant? Where have we been spending our time? Have we been investing it sacrificially into the kingdom of God for eternal reward and glory? Or have we been hoarding it for our earthly and temporary kingdoms that we're building here for ourselves? If we are honest with ourselves, for all of us, our hearts are hungry for our own glory. It's part of our human broken condition. We can see parts of Saul in all of us. Jesus, this morning we come before you each and every one of us in desperate need, in desperate need of a Savior, a rescuer, one who would, would step in on our behalf and reveal just glorious kindness to us, glorious mercy and grace. Without the power of Christ in us and through us, we will never be a people who relinquish and release our grasp on the things of this world. It'll never happen. How desperate are we for someone to slay the sin in our lives and to help us to release our grasp on the things of this world and to treasure you all the more. We cannot know you, we cannot claim to know you if we do not treasure you above all things. And there will come a time when you say to many, depart from me for I've never known you. May that not be true of us. May we be a people who seek to know you as king of all kings. I pray these things in your name. In the name of Jesus, amen.